0: Hello and welcome to Diminishing Returns, the podcast where we take a look at film franchises and then pitch our own ideas for sequels. This week, in anticipation of the new Mummy film, we've gone back to take a look at the history of the Mummy, starting in the 30s, but concentrating mainly on the incarnation that we're most familiar with, the Brendan Fraser vehicle of the late 90s and early 2000s. As always, if you'd like to get involved with the conversation, then do come and join us at facebook.com forward slash Diminishing Returns podcast. This episode contains spoilers for The Mummy 1932, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, Abbott and Costello meet The Mummy, The Mummy 1959, Bram Stoker's Dracula, The Mummy 1999, The Mummy Returns, The Scorpion King, The Mummy Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. Enjoy! Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Diminishing Returns. I'm Alan, and with me, as always, is Sol. Ooh, spooky Sol, talking about mummies. And Calvin.
1: Hello there, this is Calvin doing his Boris Karloff impression. Are you having a stroke?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Can you
1: smell toast, Calvin? <laughs> no, but I taste copper, and my left arm feels numb. <laughs> Oh, no, wait, that's heart attacks. Sorry, that's
0: heart so that's attacks. More uh, okay, and as you can tell from a very weak impression of Boris Karloff, this week we're looking at The Mummy, uh, and we're going to kind of go through the whole history of The Mummy, or as much as we can. Uh, so we're going to start with the original The Mummy film. It was Universal Horror in uh, 1932 uh, with Boris Karloff mm-hmm. as The Mummy. Yes, correct. It was part of the Universal Monsters franchise, Dracula and Frankenstein, all that sort of thing.
3: To what extent was the Universal Monsters franchise built from the ground up? Was it just that they happened to be making a a Mummy movie and a Dracula movie and a Frankenstein movie, and then they were like, oh, these are kind of similar...
1: Uh, No, 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 it was just, like, later on down the line when they started running out of ideas, and it basically... It's like the Alien vs Predator thing, we talked about that a while ago. It's basically, um, oh, shit, these these series are kind of running dry. We've made about, like, four Frankenstein films now. So, okay, we'll just take that asset and put it with that asset, and then do a crossover. That's that's what I assumed, I just... Certainly, at this stage, Universal was sort of mostly known for making these kind of horror films. Mm. Like they, they were not considered to be a very classy studio. Like Warner Brothers, you'd go to Warner Brothers if you wanted some like gangster sort of gritty drama, or you'd go to like MGM for some lavish like wh- you know Wizard of Oz a few years later and mm. um, that sort of thing. Universal was a bit grittier and a bit more um, cheap. Well, yeah, horror focused <laughs> schlock. Um, the the interesting thing about the Mummy is that around this time, Mummy came out in 1932 and before this there'd been Frankenstein, there'd been uh, Dracula, there'd been Murders in the room Morgue, um, all based on books. They all have, a, you know, a, a primary source material. The Mummy, other than being based on sort of like rumours about uh, explorers being cursed because they opened up Tutankhamun's tomb, as far as I'm aware is not based on a book or um, any previous source material. It's based on Dracula. <laughs> I wondered how long it'd be until we got there.
3: It's just it's it's so thinly veiled, isn't it? It is it is just a complete and utter Dracula knockoff.
1: Mm. The Bella Lugosi one, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Mm. But then, but then putting that into a, a framework of what was very big at the time, Egyptology was a huge thing. Uh, yeah, Tutankhamun had been mm. discovered ten years earlier.
3: People used to have their mummy parties, didn't they? Where they'd uh, get a mummy and they would just take it apart and have a look at what was in all the bandages. And...
0: Huh. Was that like a, an actual mummy or like one they'd made, like full of sweets? Like <laughs> that's an actual <laughs> like... thing
3: they did. The mummies were ten a penny in in the old days, and you they they had what? mummy unwrapping parties, and you just you get a load of friends together and you'd unra- unravel a, a mummy and just be like, oh. Huh, it's a corpse in there. Interesting. Huh. <laughs>
0: what, what were they expecting? <laughs> yeah, it's like a like a massive mummy pinata. They just smash it to pieces with bats.
3: It, it's it's fascinating. <laughs> there, there's there's accounts from um, from back in the day when when Egyptology was at its height of just like mummified pets and things were being sold for manure. They just when they went and uh, got these tombs unearthed, they'd load up the transport ships with all of the human mummies and the things made out of gold and the artifacts. But then to to kind of wedge them securely in place and make sure that they didn't break on in in transit, uh, they would just wedge like mummified cats, mummified sparrows not sparrows, um, the birds they had <laughs> mummified you know, crocodiles, they just wedged them in all the gaps to kind of keep them secure. But then that meant when they got to the docks in Britain, they were just left with loads of mummified pets that they viewed as being completely worthless for whatever reason, which is crazy mm. to think about. But yeah, they they sold them on to be ground up as paint or, like I say, be used as fertilizer. There's... There's cartoon strips from the era where um, you know that people are satirizing the idea of people having crops haunted by the ghosts of long dead <laughs> Egyptian cats and things. Like it's 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 huh. really weird that it was just so um, accepted at the time. Well, I guess it was a craze, really, wasn't it? It was like Pokemon mm. cards yeah. or uh, <laughs> Pogs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so. Universal obviously decided to take advantage of this. Uh, mm. And they just, mm-hmm. yeah, took the Dracula idea, put it into Egypt background, and boom,
2: there you go.
1: I mean, we we keep talking about similarities to Dracula. Um, sh- should we explain a bit more about that? Yeah. Like, it's not a vampire, and he's not. Nece- he's not um, sucking the blood of women, but he's the, structurally and piece-wise, the film is very, very similar, including some of the same cast members in very similar yeah, roles. It's, it's the
3: broad beats of the plot. It, I think most people, yeah. those of you who have never seen the 1932 The Mummy, uh, I expect you have a similar concept of what it is that I had before I'd seen it, which is that it's basically a zombie movie. A load of people go into a tomb and a uh, mummy walks around picking them off one by one. That is not... Oh, that's what I wanted I know, so bad. That's, that's not even close to what admit, it is. It's,
0: I was totally expecting, yeah. yeah, a man covered in bandages going... Yeah. Like a Frankenstein. That's
3: people go into a tomb and they uncover this mummy and then within like 5 minutes he just looks like an ordinary human being again. He's kind of restored himself and he's in love. Well, no, with it's the... because
0: we jump forward 10 years. It's just like the mummy escaped. Yeah, yeah. The mummy comes back to life and walks off. And then it goes 10 years later mm. and he turns up as like and an he... Egyptian businessman.
3: Yeah, and he's made his way to civilization <laughs> much like Dracula.
0: So I mean, my I think my my classic uh, vision of the mummy and the bandages and all that is from Scooby Doo. I think that's <laughs> I think that's the classic uh, mummy. <laughs> and but so it was interesting to go back to the where it started, and it, it wasn't that mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. So when did it become that?
3: Well, the sequels that Universal made are much closer to that. So I don't know to what extent that played into people's perception of of the whole thing. And I, I think there's a lot of mummy movies that aren't
1: Universal's doing that are probably closer to that. Well, I, I think that, you know, the first ten minutes of the the first film that we're talking about, that's kind of almost there. It is these people and they've just opened up a tomb and they're at the dig site and then Boris Karloff's behind them and one of them says uh, an incantation and he like Comes to life and he goes over and grabs the map and then leaves. Mm. And... You never really see him moving. It's though, kind it. of there. No, no, you just see a bit of arm movement and then you see, like, um, just like. Toilet roll like rolls <laughs> like leaving as like footsteps it's kind of yeah but um but th- that we, are, are we all in agreement that that's like the best bit of the film Those
2: first, yeah like, 10 minutes well, yeah <laughs>
3: as as we i mean as we alluded to just then like we, you and i calvin certainly both went in with uh very different expectations to what we were given and i don't know about you but i i was so disappointed when I actually came to oh, yeah. watch this film because this was when I was getting into Universal Monsters and I think I'd seen mm. the Frankenstein films, certainly the first two. I'd seen The Wolfman. I'd seen all these mm. old films and I was falling in love with them and I was so excited for for this kind of classic, very kind of poetic in a sense, but, you know, j- j- just, yeah, take on a mummy walking around attacking people. I thought that that sounds like it's going to mm. be brilliant. And then I watched it, and it was just Dracula, uh, really. And, I don't know, Dracula always seemed like one of the weaker Universal monster movies to me as well. I mean, it's okay, but it's very... You can tell it was one of the first they made before they kind of figured out exactly what their style was going to be, and it I was just yeah, so totally. disappointed. <laughs> I think it's a very dull film overall. To be honest, I'm not a big fan of it.
0: Um... I must admit, I <clears throat> I thought I I was surprised by a film that's so short and yet has so little content and moves slowly. Mm. It's mm. um it's remarkable. Like how much nothing really happens and uh, it takes a long time to do it.
1: So we talk about what the content is. Basically, um, a mummy is brought to life, Imhotep, and then he meets this woman, played by Zt Johan, who he thinks is the reincarnated self of the princess that he loved.
3: Where does that trope come from? Is that from Dracula, the woman being reincarnated? No, in
1: Dracula, he's
2: just wanting
1: more women for his bride collection, I think. Um. Because it's in... in, um... Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, oh.
3: the woman that looks exactly like Dracula. Oh, old. maybe it does come from the novel then, because it because that's a real like. Whenever you unearth some ancient evil in a movie, there's always a woman who looks like their lover from before they were put into hypersleep mm. or whatever, and 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 then they never seem to understand that it's not the same person, <laughs> even though <the laughs> and does, does might, have no. a, r-
0: a remarkable influence on them as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're real pussy whip, these mummies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway, he sees this woman and thinks, oh, I, I'm going to do some spells and make her come back in this body.
0: Well, what, what, what exactly was the plan? Because from what I can tell, he has to kill her so that he can bring her back to life. Is that right?
1: Yes, yes. He's going to kill her, mummify her, bring her back, and then uh, marry her.
0: So that they can be mummies, like, undead together.
1: I think so, yeah. But then this Egyptian goddess set Simotep on fire and then that's the end of the film <laughs> um, and the, uh, you, you, we talked about the, the content of it it is an incredibly short film and it's, it, it's impossible I can't even imagine how much quicker it would be if people just talked normally because everyone <laughs> talks incredibly slowly <laughs> And you've got just these really long silent uh, sequences of Boris Karloff like hypnotizing ZT Johan. and then they're just like stood like about six inches apart from each other, staring into each other's eyes, and then some other blokes will come in the room and be like,
2: oh, "You're right, then. Um, hello, uh, what's
1: going on here, then?" Uh, so none of us especially like the mummy. Um, But it was yeah, a big hit. Which is
3: quite damning to say that certainly myself and you, Calvin, are big fans of Universal oh, yes. Horror, the uh, the old classic films. Mm. I don't know about you, Alan, uh, but...
1: Mm. But then I'm not a fan of Dracula, so... Yeah, I'm not really. There's not enough camp in these ones, that's the thing. I like my Frankensteins and yeah. my Invisible Man and um, Werewolf of London, where there's a good bit of camp going there's, on. There's
3: not enough camp... Or, like, genuine heart as well, I think. Because yeah. I'd say The Wolfman, which is one of my favourites, isn't exactly that campy, other than maybe Bela Lugosi's role, <laughs> yes. but it's, it's got a very sincere emotional core to it, and it. The Mummy just feels very cold in that front. I know it's trying to tell this, like, grandiose romance story, but it just doesn't really...
0: After that film, which was successful, they produced several sequels, but they weren't exactly directly connected, but they were just had. Yeah,
3: I mean, you, it's debatable as to whether or not they really are sequels. To be honest, um, I, I consider them to be sequels, but only because they're other films set in the
1: same universal universe that was retroactively joined up. But it kind of starts a fresh continuity, from what I understand. Doesn't it? The first one, the Mummy's Hand.
3: Well, they're they're certainly new. They're just new characters. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's either a sequel where it's set in the same world and new characters unearth a new tomb with a new mummy, or mm. they are just completely standalone. It's kind of up to you how you want to take it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really make much difference either way. So, um, so um, are they any good? I enjoy them more than the first mummy on a personal level. Uh, so this is the mummy's hand... The Mummy's Tomb, the Mummy's Ghost, mm-hmm. and the Mummy's Curse—they're mm. um, all pretty much that sort of schlocky—a mummy walking around attacking people film that we kind of wanted from the uh, from the first film. But they're not—they're not done to the same standard as the average uh, Universal horror film. So they're not exactly great, but I enjoy them more than the first Mummy film. Just about. But I do need to uh, make a special mention of The Mummy's Curse, which was the last one. Mm. Um, Now, this film features a female mummy, much like the upcoming uh, reboot version. Mm, But also, I just want to say, this film, it's not great but it features one of the most hauntingly beautiful sequences I have ever seen in a horror film. Oh, wow. Or possibly a film altogether. It's, it's There's this sequence where the mummy woman kind of... Uh, I think it's her coming to life. It might be her kind of losing a lot. I can't quite remember what's happening, but it, it's shot at like an odd frame rate, and it's it's just... If you're a big filmy person, then I would recommend watching The Mummy's Curse purely to see this one
1: scene. Hmm. No, well, part, part of the reason why I haven't watched um, them is because they're just quite hard to find in this country. It's like you need to uh, mm. get them on, like, set, you need to get them in this big collection thing, and it's yeah, not going to like them. Then yeah. Yeah, anyway. Hmm. <laughs> okay, well, maybe I'll check that one out.
3: And uh, then they followed these up with, well, weirdly enough, the the Universal monsters film started crossing over with Abbott and Costello. Like, yeah, in the in the early fifties, late forties, in fact, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, Frankenstein. Yeah. yeah, so Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein is
0: surprisingly
3: fantastic. Like it's a really great little film. Hmm. Have
0: you have you seen it? No, no, I've never I've never watched them. I'm I'm aware of them.
3: I've seen all of their Universal horror films. Um, I think everyone knew the Universal Monsters thing was at the end of its uh, life, and they they got back loads of the the classic, you know, Lon Chaney Jr., Bella Lugosi back as Dracula. Mm. They got all these people back to reprise roles. And they just threw Frankenstein, the Wolfman, Dracula, all into this film together. But they made it a comedy with Abbott Costello being thrown in as well. And I know Abbott and Costello did do these sort of crossover Abbott-Costello meet, but it's weird because this is a seemingly canon entry to the films. This is Lawrence uh, Larry Talbot as the Wolfman, played by Lon Chaney Jr., carrying on his story, and he's just interacting with Abbott and Costello, and it's a comedy all of a sudden.
2: Hmm.
0: Is it like Abbott and Costello are two kind of working comedy guys and they accidentally sort of get caught up with a mummy or do they have like persona proper characters in the film?
3: They play characters called Chick and Wilbur but um, I think at one point one of them calls the other one Costello or something (laughs) like they're not particularly resigned to their characters (laughs) um They play. Uh, I think they work in a museum, and the museum gets like <laughs> a load of spooky artifacts delivered, or something like that. And they get locked in overnight with the. It's some silly thing like that, but it. It's a really great film. It's one of the best Universal horror films, and it it's surprising in that it's. It's a legitimate horror comedy. It's not just a comedy with monsters thrown in. And yeah, this this led to them doing Abbott and Costello Meet the Mummy, which is one of their most iconic films, from what I can gather. Because my I first learned of Abbott and Costello really through references to them in The Simpsons cartoons.
0: Yeah, <laughs> The Simpsons
3: and Future. Everything
0: you know about pop culture is through The Simpsons. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's very true. And I do wonder if that is where the image that we think of, of this mummy, arms outstretched, going at the start of Scooby-Doo and everything, mm. I do wonder if that comes from Abbott and Costello specifically.
2: Mm. Um,
3: mm. Because you think that would have been a film that kids were probably allowed to go and see. It it probably was something that just kind of permeated further than the... Uh, the more traditional straight horror would have necessarily done because that's going to play to a, a very particular demographic who would want to go and watch these, you know, trashy horror movies. So,
1: mm. yeah.
3: but yeah, that that really
1: was the end of uh, the mummy franchise for. But then there was the, this, the Hammer horror films. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've not seen the Hammer horror mummy, but it came yeah. out in 1959, yep. so I guess it sort of just shifted over the Atlantic and.
3: Yeah, so it's them doing it but they've bought the rights from Universal so it's not with their it's not a universal film. No. It is much more a man in bandages walking around oh, killing yeah, people yeah. than a romance <laughs> even though they kind of keep character names here and there. Well, they? from
0: what I read, I watched the the first one that Hammer did just the mummy, but from what I read it was more uh, it took uh, story elements from the sequels of universal the universal film rather yeah. than the original
3: yeah it does it's it's much it's much closer to the uh the Carys mummy films again it's very cheesy and and trashy horror but it's just it's just a bit more fun and enjoyable and mm. you know you've got peter cushing and christopher lee in there I don't know, Alan, you probably hate it. Um,
0: no, not particularly. I, I was kind of fun. expecting it to be a bit more kind of camp and fun, if anything. Let's just got an idea of what Hammer is in my head. But this is when mm. Hammer was still pretty legit. Um, they kind of went a bit more ridiculous in later years. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I, I found it yeah a lot more watchable than the Universal one. Yeah. yeah much easier to watch. It's not great, yeah. but...
3: It, it just is
0: more, like you say, more watchable, more fun. There's one thing in it that I think you will really like, Calvin. Uh, mm. It made me think of you when I was watching it, and it's the uh, the way that they portray the working classes. Uh, <laughs> uh. So, so basically, is it, is it
1: like, oh, hello, governor? Oh, you <laughs> drop your toilet roll, governor. Oh! So, mummy, is it like that? Uh,
0: pretty much, yeah. Exactly. Yes. They're all in this one little village where Peter Cushing lives, but they all have wildly different accents, like Irish or Scottish or like uh, West Country. <laughs> or, it's like whatever kind of stereotype <laughs> accent the actor could do the best. And they're all they're all <laughs> drunk, and and they're in a pub and like and like they they one of them like uh, one of them's poaching. And then he sees this mummy like wandering through the forest, and he has to go into the pub and go, "Oh, you better give me a scotch, Governor." Oh, I, I can't <laughs> believe what I just saw. <laughs> and then, oh, amazing! And then they're like, "Here, hey, Davy, a- have you been on the the scrumpy again? What are you on about?" And then, <laughs> <laughs> Is there a
3: is there a point in any of these films where the mummy walks down the street and a homeless man <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> like, looks at it and then looks at the bottle of alcohol he's drinking and like, throws it away? It's,
1: it's
0: perilously close to it.
1: <laughs> but, but do you think it's better than the, than the original, the universal one?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and you get the proper, yeah, Christopher Lee as a mummy going, and he's, like, he's being mm. controlled by this Egyptian guy. But then they, and then they do have the classic like Peter Cushing's wife. Uh, like there's just this sort of really uh, incongruous scene where he goes, I, "I say, you look awfully like this." This Egyptian princess, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then, and then like five minutes later, the mummy turns up and sees her, and he's like, "Oh, princess!" And then, and then, that like calms him down. So, yeah. so it, I'm it's stunning that
1: has become such an integral <laughs> yeah. part of the whole mummy lore that they all this princess woman that they all see. Mm. So. And in and, I mean, and in yeah, the in the Hammer it's one, it's, it's
0: it's the it's crucial to the story because that's how they mm. catch him, basically, or it's how they. Well they end up just blowing his head off. <laughs> <laughs> but there is there's a couple of good bits in it. Like there's an interesting scene where Peter Cushing he realizes this Egyptian guy is kind of up to no good and goes and visits him. And then the Egyptian guy, like, he realizes Peter Cushing is onto him as well. But they have this very kind of it's a very classic British film standoff where they're kind of being very polite to each other and he's offering him tea and <laughs> stuff like that. But they, they're oh, feeling each other out and they've kind of both know they've got yeah. this ulterior motive. Uh, and it's, oh, it's a and... really cool scene. And it, it, I think oh. you would really like this film, actually, Calvin. Oh,
1: well, I, based on your recommendation, I will, yeah, seek it out. <laughs> £10 <pounds> on Amazon.
0: <laughs> oh, God. So shall we move on to, um, well, our generation's mummy, basically. Uh, the yeah. Brendan Fraser vehicle. Should we have a quick backstory about how this film got made?
1: Uh well actually I I don't know that much about this one because the um the DVD special features were not terribly um uh <laughs> varied. Um there is a pretty in-depth hour long documentary on how they made the CGI mummy. It was very
3: hit and miss like that mummy, but in some scenes it looked great. I mean that CGI for, for 1999
0: uh, this was I think the effects are really good generally.
3: Yeah, yeah, but but I mean, even by today's standards, there were some scenes where that CGI mummy looked really good for a film from the '90s doing CGI. Well, it It was it was jarring how good it looked at times, and then like other times, it just looked like classic '90s (laughs) CGI and shit. But
1: yeah, I wasn't. Did you watch on DVD or Blu-ray? I watched Blu-ray, so that's probably why it looked a bit shitter to
3: me. I watched
0: it on VHS. It was great. <laughs> I think I watched an
1: HD quality
3: uh rip that I got off the internet, so it's as good as Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> the weirdest thing for me about this film is the fact that it's a period piece. It just seems like the logical thing to have done mm. in the nineties would have been to make a modern like update it, set it in the nineties and modern day. Mm. Like, I think it's why the film worked mm. that they yeah. set it in, or part of why they made it work was they made it a period piece and it turned it into this kind of swashbuckling Pirates of the Caribbean affair. Mm. But it does strike me very, just as very odd that they didn't go for a, uh, a modern interpretation. It seems like that's what they should have done in the 90s and then the upcoming yeah. reboot would be the one yeah. set in the old days yeah. to kind of... Yeah. Give a fresh flavour. Um, I, I
0: think it is. It's just like that. That time, that time period, of the thirties was that was your Egyptian mummy period. It was like that's where you have yeah. gotta go.
3: No, I know, I know. It's just why I'm bringing this up now is I think it was something that was considered in the development process. I think well, an original script was set in modern day yeah. and reworked Yeah, I mean, it. to hmm. be
0: honest with you, it, it went through about five different scripts over seven years or whatever it was. So it was just one of those ideas that, okay, we've got the rights to do it and we, we could do this, do it this way. No, that we don't like that one. Mm. Here's a script. The director's dropped out. Blah, blah, blah. Like, um, you know, at one point, George A. Romero was attached.
1: Whoa. Oh, really? I did not know that.
3: Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I wish that had
0: been made. Oh, thank God that wasn't made. And they didn't like his take on it because it was too dark. Well, it would have been horrific. The guy who made Hellraiser, he was attached to it at one point. Like, all sorts oh, of Oh, I wish that had been made. <laughs> Clive Barker? Yeah, that's him. Clive Barker, yeah. Whoa. So, it, it was one of those things. It was in, like, development hell for, for years and years. So eventually, one thing and another. Uh, well, they would. They wanted to do it quite cheap. They they just wanted to sort of do it quick and easy, and it just never came together. And eventually, Stephen Somers came on board and was not exactly unknown, but didn't have a, a huge reputation. But was a big fan of the idea and and produced a script that they liked so much that they just completely backed it, whammed up the budget, oh, wow. and and um, <laughs> and then they tried to get like. Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt and, and all these people of the day, and mm. uh, but ended up with Brendan Fraser and and I don't. Uh, uh, from what <laughs> you I could, could tell, that he wasn't the first choice. <laughs> well, he wouldn't so. be, would he? That's, I think. I actually think <laughs> for the tone of this film, he's it, perfect, and and apparently they yeah. they kind of they they went for him off the back of George of the Jungle, like that was a big much bigger success than they, anyone expected. And it was like, okay, he does this kind of comedy at stick shtick. I mean,
3: I don't know. I didn't think he was that great in it. I felt like he was a bit mispitching it, just slightly wrong. And oh. I think it's because the film isn't quite comedic enough to let him get away with what he's doing. Mm. It, it's, it feels like it's taking it just a bit too seriously. He should have been cast as um, Star-Lord in, like, Guardians of the Galaxy if they made it in nineteen ninety-nine. He doesn't quite seem like the right fit for this one. I think he fits perfectly. Yeah, I don't I think, think he's
0: he a could good get fit, yeah. And actually I think the balance of comedy and action is, is done pretty well, actually. I think it
3: It's every time there's like a cool badass moment for him where he's like trying to be Indiana Jones, it just feels a bit tragic and lame. I just kept thinking, oh, wouldn't it be better if this was Brad Pitt or something? Because he's not playing up the goofiness enough to make it Work for me, and I I don't know if that's just because I know what happens to his career after the film. Maybe that's clouding my judgment. But
0: But I I actually think watching Brendan Fraser in this, I think he could act. I think if he wanted to, he could. It's like there's you just see these glimpses of like proper acting. He was in Crash, (laughs) and and I think, yeah, exactly. And I think, yeah, I don't know, he hasn't quite translated it into anything else, has he? And
2: well, that's a bit older now, yeah. Well, that's it. He's kind of
3: he's. He's missed his chance to really legitimise what he was doing. But it's odd, because, it, I don't know, it just feels like he should be kind of up there with Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt nowadays and making these big blockbusters all, about, all the time. I don't know. It's just...
0: mm, It's more of a Keanu Reeves, isn't
3: he? Yeah, yeah, right, Keanu Reeves. That's a fair, <laughs> fair uh, mm. comparison.
0: But the, well, it was interesting you mentioned... Um indiana jones then because i think basically the mummy is the missing link between indiana jones and Pirates of the caribbean absolutely in this kind of action adventure the mummy's more comedic than the the other two are um certainly more than indiana jones it's much more tongue-in-cheek but what is missing is well for a start it's it's basically just indiana jones it's way too similar the character and then what it's missing is what we talked about in our Pirates of the Caribbean episode is that iconic character. We said how Jack Sparrow lifted Pirates of the Caribbean mm. up above and also a, an excellent director in Gore Verbinski. Yeah. And that's what this film is missing. It's- You're right.
3: Yeah. If, if you'd asked me a few weeks ago, I would have said, what, about John Hanna? But... Uh... I've realised... Talk about bad acting. Oh, what? Well, re-watching it, re-watching it, I've realised that no, he's my, my affection for that character was based purely on the cartoon series that I watched as a kid tying into the films and he's actually uh, pretty shit in this film. I he? love not... him.
1: He's my favourite thing. He can't, can't do the
3: accent. Why, why didn't they let him do it <laughs> Scottish? I think
1: it's fine here. I think he
3: gets a bit worse in the other ones but uh what is John Hannah by the way cuz he he seems like he's Scottish he's a man Oh no sorry I don't mean what what is he in terms of where's he from I just uh, mean like what
0: what is He claims John to be Hanna? an actor
3: well, it, well it's just he he always feels like when he shows up and stuff it always feels like we're meant to go oh that's John Hannah like british treasure John Hannah who has done all these great things but then what what's he done He's he's like a little mainly on TV bit part in I... the mummy he was in sliding doors, but that was dreadful.
1: He does a lot of TV stuff. I, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know him from anything else. I just know him as the funny guy from the Mummy.
0: He's not funny. He is. Isn't
3: he's, he's not? That's the thing. I I remember thinking he was great as a kid, but like I say, I think I'm just remembering uh, his role in the cartoon where he was portrayed by Tom Kenny, and he was like the comic relief. He
2: is the I mean, comic relief. He,
3: he, I was gonna say he is the comic relief, but. And
0: he's great at it. I don't think he works that well. Even Rachel Vice isn't good in this, uh, and she gets away with it more because the character's a bit better pitched. But she she doesn't act well. in I it. think they're all playing. I mean, it I've perfectly. seen her act well in other things. So, <laughs> well, that's it. I think for, for the tone of the piece, it it works, yes. and they get away yeah. with it. But it's not good. It, well, it, no, it is. I think it's John perfectly Hannah fitting. Should have
3: been better. John I, I know who you will same. hate in
1: this film, Calvin. Uh uh Lily. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I do.
0: <laughs> why? <laughs> apart f- apart from your your obvious racism, why Ooh. why don't you like
1: it? No, no, it's not. I'll tell
3: you what it's like, Alan, because I'm gonna I'm sort of on board with this as well. Um it's like when Alexi Sale would pop up in the young ones. <laughs> it's just like they've just got this comedian to come in and go, Hey, what's going on? Like shouting yeah, at everyone. like
1: He does that voice, he does that shouty
0: um. Well, if, if this film had been made ten years earlier, it would have been Alexei sale Omid <laughs> <laughs> Jalili's career is based on Alexei Sayle um, not working anymore. You know, uh,
3: you know who else is fucking awful. Actually, whilst we're on it, and I, I just, I don't know what they like. What is going on?
1: Kevin J. O'Connor
3: is he the guy who plays Benny? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, See, yeah cause cause I, I, I feel that character so... is pitched in the right place. And it's okay. not a good performance, but I still prefer him to John Hanna.
3: It's mm. right, number one that is bordering on racism, frankly. But let's like not even. What, getting what in is he?
0: What what race is he supposed to be that is stereotyping? <laughs>
3: um
0: just generic, white. Like so. Middle Eastern <laughs> isn't he? Well but he, but he's white, so he could be from anywhere.
3: No, but he, I think he's meant to be Egyptian. I'm isn't not quite sure what he, he is. is.
2: No. I
0: don't think Because so. 'Cause they're in the Foreign Legion, so they he's could be from anywhere. He's doing like a, right. a
3: Borat voice. Yeah. He's from Chicago, the actor. Like at least all the other like <laughs> yeah. slightly bordering on racist stereotypes were like actors of the right, you know, ethnicity or from the right part of the world to kind of <laughs> But this guy is from Chicago. He's mates with the director, from what I can gather. Yes. And he's just like he's just there going, My wife, my wife with a fez on and like bad teeth. And it it feels like the Chinese chef in King Kong or something. It just feels really <laughs> yeah. Really like surprising that they did that mm. in a film from the nineties. I and the character's just annoying as well. Let's let's not overlook that. Like it's a it's a really annoying shit character. He does my head in. Yeah. <laughs> It felt way more like a family film than I was
1: re- than I remembered as well.
3: It felt like George of the Jungle or Flubber or something
1: like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well <laughs> I, I think the sequel yeah. more so than the first one, because the first one still has moments of quite horrific darkness. Yeah. Like there's the guy who has his eyes and tongue ripped out. And then he's like wandering mm. around, and for a while he's just like. And, and then he, the mummy goes back and like takes the rest of his body later on, and that scene always really bothered me as a child. And there's just bits there's of like, there's not enough of that. Like still, even, to be even um, how Omid Jalili's character dies, where the cockroach like scarab thing goes into his like brain and um, he dies, and and, yeah. and 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 I mean it's it's handled quite flippantly because the it, like literally he dies, and the next scene is, huh? Can you believe what happened to him? Yeah, I dunno, know, you know. <laughs> And
0: that's well, it. He's,
3: he's a character you're not meant to give a shit about yeah. because he's the fat, shouty one. <laughs> but, uh... Well, this
0: is this is an interesting thing that came up in the film for me, which was they really have to do a lot of stretching to make these guys the heroes because essentially they're grave robbers, right? Just just because they do it like, oh, no, we're academics, it doesn't really <laughs> make any difference. Plus, they're not. John Hanna is a thief and a kind of money grubbing all the time (laughs) brendan Fraser is just an adventurer essentially rachel vice's character she's the academic one so she's the one who's supposed to legitimize it but then even then she's not she's she's like the librarian we don't really get much of an idea of what her academic background is and i thought it was a really good opportunity here which they didn't take which would be like Make it that she's really well-educated and she knows everything about Egyptology, blah, blah, blah. But because she's a woman, nobody takes her seriously and she's got stuck being the librarian. So this opportunity comes along to prove it and she goes and takes it.
3: Mm. I thought they were doing that at the start because they set it up. There's that really awkward exposition at the start where, where the guy's like, why do I put up with you? Because I'm the only one who knows how to read and decode ancient Egyptian.
2: <laughs> no, because
3: your parents were my best customers,
1: and it's just... Oh, I think that's fine. That, that's, that's the kind of film this is. I think that's fine. It's not going to... You know.
0: But, but my, my point is that we have to try and think these guys are the heroes, and, so, and they have to go to a long way to make them look good by comparison by putting the crass Americans in who are literally just treasure hunters, mm. as if there's some difference there between them. You've got, what's his name... Is it Oded Fair who plays? Yes, the, yes. Whatever the like, the, the like the the ancient bodyguard is, or whatever the, the hell they're doing. Yeah, and like even there, even he's like, "What, what are you doing? You're, you're releasing these ancient things. We're here to stop you. We're going to kill you to stop you from doing it." Mm. And then they end up being friends because they kind of come together at the end to help. And it, it's just like at no point. I mean, this goes on for the other three films, the other films as well. The, they're always. Triggering the problems, like they're the reason all the bad things are happening. Well, but then they still, we still paint them as the heroes.
3: You know what it reminded me of? I mean, it just basically turns into Evil Dead near the end, doesn't it? They they go, or well, not near the end. They go into a tomb. They find a book of the dead. They uh, they read from it, accidentally unleash this ancient evil. Then they have to deal with a load of zombies. Yeah,
0: but they, but that's it. They don't accidentally stumble into this. They go looking for a tomb to rob it of its treasures. For whatever reasons they well, have, I think that's fine. I mean, you and had, they unleash a curse. Yeah, but
1: you have characters who, you know, characters have to make mistakes. If they if they didn't create their own problem that they would need to then solve, like they're just passengers yeah. in a rolling narrative. It's
2: yeah, I
3: don't I don't see a problem with characters fucking shit up and then having to deal with, the, it. What's it, with it. I think it
0: it plays more into this the more overarching idea, which doesn't come into play in the earlier films, but I think by 1999, it's something we should consider of the ca- the 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 moral ambiguity of going in going into someone else's country, taking it over and then robbing their cultural history, so that we can put it in our museums. And I don't think it addresses that fact.
3: Yeah, but this is a film where they've cast a guy from Chicago as a Middle Eastern man, and just like made his teeth really fucked up and put fez <laughs> on him, and had him do a Borat voice. They're clearly not
1: yeah. interested
3: in the uh, ethical nuances <laughs> at play within the
2: film.
3: And whilst yeah. I do agree with you, Alan. I think there's bigger problems that the film should have addressed first before getting into the colonialism play.
0: (laughs) Okay, go on then. What are the bigger problems? The the fucking ethnic
3: stereotyping (laughs) and the fact that all of the Egyptian characters are like buffoon idiots who die and you're not meant to care about them.
0: No, the, the, the good guy is Oded Fair, who's like the leader of the... I don't know, whatever they are supposed the to be. Magi the, the is it? That,
1: that got very Indiana Jones 3 didn't oh, yeah. You know, it's like the secret organization. Yeah. So I, I think they've probably. Underplayed how much I really like this film. Like this is like one of my like childhood favorite tell. like things. It just
0: it strikes me as something you would like, especially given the time and yeah. how old yeah. you were when it came out. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. I
3: remembered like watching it and thinking like, yeah, fine, whatever. When I was a kid, and I, it's gone down a little bit in my estimation. Rewatching it, I think I think it's like for what it is, you could do a lot worse.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was my thoughts, really, when I rewatched it. It was very much kind of like, yeah, it does whatever it, what it sets out to do, and it yeah. does it quite well. And I, I, I actually I thought the effects were good, were good. I and mean, for the time, yeah. particularly good, and, and they did the job. Mm. And not just, not just the CGI as well. I think they, they really went all in with the set design and all oh, that. Oh, absolutely, it works, yeah. It looks really great. One thing
3: I'll say is I wish this was more of a horror film. Like, it it has elements, particularly towards the end, when it gets into horror, and it just feels like a shame that it is just such a, an action movie.
1: Uh, um, i I like it that way.
3: I mean, it would it, it, be better if at least the horror sequences that were there were actually scary, because there are moments that are clearly meant to be a bit, like, ooh, it, this is going to be a bit of horror, but none of them are... Creeped me out as an 11-year-old, like, I'm, yeah, like... I, I got really bored, to be honest, once the mummy was like a normal person again. It's the same problem as the original 30s film. Like, as soon as the mummy's just a normal looking guy, I don't care. But I did like that he's scared of cats. Alan, <laughs> do you want to comment about that?
0: <laughs> yeah, I think he should have done more with that. I like, do. They should have cause, raised cause... an army of cats or something.
3: Well, that's it. He brings a cat out like later on, and it works, and then they just never do anything with it again. Like and you're right. Like, why not just get all the cats together in the in, in Egypt and like wear a suit of cats taped to his body? <laughs> yeah. Now, there, there's the whole thing where the the plagues of Egypt are like brought about again. Now, what's the plague of meteorites? Because that's not that's not a thing.
0: Uh, Isn't that like fire and brimstone or something? I don't no, know, I that's not one of them. Are.
3: No, what should have happened is the, uh, the firstborn child of every family should have been uh, killed. Mm.
0: <laughs> that would have gone down well. But
3: instead, <laughs> instead it's meteorites or something. Mm.
0: Well, this is what I thought. If anything, in the film they're trying to do too much. And like the whole Plague's yeah. thing got a little bit lost in the mix. Because like, you could do a lot with that.
3: The Plague's idea comes in and it's you think oh cool that's a nice idea to chuck in and then it is just like immediately other than it somehow turns all the people into like zombie slaves that because they've got boils mm, yeah. and sores because there was a plague of boils and sores that <laughs> makes no reference to brainwashing and mind control um other than that kind of playing into the plot it just feels largely like like you say like a bit of a waste because that should have been a big part of the film it should have been like
0: You could do the entire film around that premise. Yeah, exactly. The big
3: big plague at the end is going to be some apocalyptic event. Especially if it is like meteorites or whatever. Um, But yeah, can you guys guess what my favourite part
1: of the film is? Uh, I don't know if I can. Uh, When he's hanging? No. (laughs) Uh, I don't know.
3: (laughs) <laughs> um, all the all the zombie mummies at the end.
1: Oh, of course, it is really That's cool the when they all the come film. marching in, and then they like yeah, yeah. But you
3: can you can tell this is a uh, a film made pre zombie renaissance, pre twenty eight days later, Shaun of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead remake, Resident Evil. You can tell it predates all those because just how they're moving. All the zombies are like really like comically flailing around. You, you can just tell that like the extras don't quite know how to be moving. Mm. Um, but I like that. I like that they just have a load of like zombie mummy subjects that pop out at the end.
2: Mm.
1: So, um, uh, just a couple of years later, they did The Mummy Returns. Because the first one, from what I understand, was sort of a surprise success. It was like one of the biggest films mm-hmm. of the year and everything. So I suppose it was inevitable that we'd get a sequel. Um, two years later...
0: Shall we deal with the uh, that fucking kid straight away? Should we get that out of the way before we move on?
3: <laughs> oh, is the kid in the... I haven't seen the sequel since like two thousand and two or something. So is the kid from the cartoon series in it? Is that where they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
0: don't know about the cartoon, but basically, it's made two years later, but it's set what, eleven years later. Yeah. So they've got they've got married. They've got this kid that's ten years old.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's the kid from the cartoon. I quite enjoyed that cartoon. Yeah, I enjoyed that great. cartoon. Yeah. And
1: I think this film was sort of... You know, they obviously had a franchise mentality when they were going into this film. Yeah. And it was like, okay, yeah, we can have this film to set up that prequel thing and the and the cartoon. So we need that kid-relatable entity in there.
0: It just pretty much sums up everything about bad child acting okay. um, and bad child characters. Like, he's the precocious child. He knows everything. He's really intelligent. And he, he's not scared of the bad guys. Yeah. it's just the it's just the the epitome of shitty child characters and a shit actor.
1: You know he 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 got the job because he was like a massive fan of the thing and in his audition he could just quote the first film like (laughs) verbatim (laughs) and they hired him on that basis. He's not really done anything since, has he? Freddie both. Uh, Can we
3: can we all agree that the Mummy Returns is awful? No, I love it. My favourite do you
1: Really? Yeah, 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 this was my favourite as a kid and I still love it now. I think it's... Why? It's much more fun than the first one and it doesn't have as much of a mean streak to it, which appealed to me more as a 12-year-old. This, this to
3: me, is the epitome of just everything wrong with, like, Hollywood sequels. It's what Hollywood sequels are criticised for. It's just badly thought through, overblown throwing CGI all over the shot that looks fucking shit. I mean, I can't defend that. Too, wow. too much of a <laughs> franchise mentality, like you say. It's so concerned with gearing up for these spin-offs and the cartoons and all sorts, but... not in, I feel like they've kind of figured out how to do that nowadays in a, a less shit way. I, I just... I thought this film was awful.
0: <laughs> well, what I thought about the, the first film was that it was missing a personality. Either as mm. a director or like as a Johnny Depp kind of, you know, Jack Sparrow mm. thing. It, it was missing something that made it more than just a, a Hollywood product. This felt like a film by committee. You do this bit, then you do this scene, you have this character, you have this character. The sequel, Mummy Returns, is like that, but even more so. And <laughs> it's like nobody cares about this film. I it's do. just like, right, what boxes do we need to tick? To make that happen,
3: like you're you're being the the weird one now, Calvin, by liking this. Like I was being the weird one before by not liking the first one because it's generally regarded <laughs> as a. I mean, it's critically not very well thought of, but it's regarded as a good bit of fun. People mm. like it. This one is generally regarded as a load of crap, isn't it? That's not just me being no, a, no, no. Yeah, what well, a negative well, I was actually Nancy. Really
1: surprised because I remember these films from childhood, like I say, and grew up with them, and I always in my mind, they were always sort of considered to be fun, like, positive reviewed like, good fun um, fluff popcorn, but they're not really. I remember
3: the first one being thought of quite highly, but I I do, I don't know, I I think it always felt like no one really cared about the second one to me. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: There is um, something about the second one that I don't I think I ever fully understood as a kid and I think I got it on this second time. Um, is it the plot? Uh, well, y- well, yes, actually. I, uh,
0: I can't say I ever followed quite No, because the plot was No, because I was, was, I was sort of paying...
1: I, I, maybe I just didn't pay attention to plots when I was a kid and just sort of got carried along with... That would explain why you like it. <laughs> yeah, I was very confused about all of the reincarnation visions and that kind of stuff because the whole first film is about Imhotep trying to resurrect Anax and Amun. And then here she's, the actress is there at the start, but she's just a reincarnated version of that character, from what I understand. And then yeah. Rachel Weiss is a reincarnated version of the pharaoh that Imhotep killed in the first film. Um, no, the
0: pharaoh's wife, or whatever. No, it, was his,
1: it was his daughter. Oh,
0: right. Okay. Was it? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it was. Well, yeah, it was confusing, wasn't it? It, it was never quite clear what was happening with all that, and why it was happening. Why it mattered. Uh, and I, I think I might. This film didn't quite hold my attention in the way that it perhaps needed to mm.
2: uh,
0: to to sell that to me. And so it was just like, well, what's going on now? I'll just get in the balloon and do something. I can't
1: believe you guys don't like John Hannah. I think he's really funny.
3: In- I remembered liking him as a kid. Like I went into it expecting him to be my favourite thing in the film when I rewatched it, mm. and I just. I found him quite grating, but I, I remember liking him. Mm. But like I say, I don't know how much of that's down to the character and the cartoon. And... Mm.
0: This this film felt a lot cheaper to me, like in terms of yeah. the sets. The CGI is worse, but also like the physical sets it just didn't seem to have the same it, gravitas. It, from what or... I
3: remember, it felt maybe not cheaper, but rushed to me. It felt yeah, like they yeah. had deadlines to meet. Well, it did only come out two years. Were... Yeah, it just like felt like they true. were struggling to... To hit the deadlines, so the CGI isn't quite finished, and the sets have all been hastily thrown together, and that—that that was how it felt for me, anyway.
0: But what, one other thing I noticed about it, which perhaps is of the time it was made, it felt very kind of video game like. Mm. Oh, re-
3: yeah, it really does. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much of that's to do with the CGI.
0: Yeah, yeah, maybe, or but just
3: the hordes and hordes of enemies at the end as well. It's like these well... just this. Spawning bad guys to be like, for. yeah,
0: yeah and, and particularly when they're like not quite human bad guys, which mm-hmm. is like, you know, that they do that so that it makes it a bit easier to murder people
2: mm.
0: in the games. But yeah, there was particularly that bit where they're on a London bus, which again just feels so contrived. I like, love oh, let's do a scene in London and put a London oh, bus Oh, no, that's for fine. And
1: it's they, they make a joke about how absurd it is. It's like. John Hannah and the boy have to go and get their transportation and then they're yeah. like, what do you get the bloody bus for? And it's just like, yeah.
0: <laughs> but then w- when they're being chased and the zombie warrior thing- things are chasing them, that that felt like a video game then. Because it was like they were attacking one at a time and he was having to shoot them like out of yeah. the back of the bus. And mm. that really felt video game-like to me.
2: Mm.
3: The bit that feels most like a video game for me is when uh, Vin Diesel shows up (laughs) as a PlayStation sprite. Yes.
0: Scorpion. Isn't (laughs) that
1: something to behold now? It's like, I really did feel like I was playing a game. Just the rendering of it is so...
0: I don't know I don't know if you said Vin Diesel as a joke then, no if that was <laughs> Yeah it's it's Dwayne Dwayne is that, Vin is Diesel, Diesel that, Johnson Was that was that I didn't know if you were actually confused or you were making a joke at your own confusion between them
3: <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to do a running gag where they're the same person.
1: This is like the what? This is like one of his first feature films, wasn't it? And he wasn't even Dwayne the Rock Johnson. He was just The Rock at this point, I believe. You know what? That I
3: completely forgot. But yeah, this was very much his transition from the world of uh, why wrestling mm. foundation, mm. or whatever it was.
0: Yeah. And, and this film, he does, he's basically not in it. It really isn't yeah. there. He's in the little prologue, and he doesn't do much acting. He's just a muscle guy.
3: Mm. It's like he went into an office. They took a of They took a picture of his, of his face, face. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> wrapped it around a balloon.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: uh. So what is... Like, even when it was happening, I didn't really understand. What's the deal with The Scorpion King? They made a spin-off vehicle for Dwayne Johnson
0: yes. as The Rock.
3: Yes. Uh,
0: but the thing is, in, in The Scorpion King, in that film, the story has no relation to what is set up exactly. in The Mummy Returns.
3: So, do you know, was it like they just had a an idea for a Dwayne Johnson movie called The Scorpion King, and there was a script, and then someone was like, oh, we could tie this in with... Uh, our mummy maybe maybe
0: or maybe they just thought you know Dwayne The Rock Johnson he's he's gonna be a big star he's got the chops for this let's give him a chance and tie it into this for the franchise so that we get a market for it straight away Mm. I think I think it's just everybody knew Dwayne the Rock Johnson was going to be a huge star, and they were like, right, let's get, let's tie him down, let's do something with this. I don't know
1: if they necessarily did. I mean, when you look at like Hulk Hogan or like yeah. other wrestlers that tried to make the the shift, I think they were probably yeah. hoping that they could yeah. tie him down to make about twelve of these in like ten years.
0: Yeah, but you're talking the difference between Hulk Hogan and Dwayne the Rock Johnson is just plain, isn't it? It's like the guy's a comedic genius. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> would you? Other...
3: Was that apparent from his days in the wrestling ring yes. and? Do you yes, think the... <laughs> you
0: can't you can't play wrestling seriously. It, it doesn't work. You've got to be c- the com- comedy one. I,
3: why make him such a sort of tangent in the film? Like instead of
0: more integral to the plot, is kind of. What, what do I'm you mean in the of. Mummy returns? Yeah, I mean it, it felt like. Well, yeah, knew... I think they just used him then because they wanted someone who looked massive and a bit <laughs> Middle Eastern. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but then they were like, okay, well, we can do more with this guy. But
3: were they? It felt. Watching the film, like, the Scorpion King was already in production at the time. See,
0: I, that... I, so, I mean, I don't think it was because the two are so disconnected. Apart from the users name, the Scorpion King, there's no relation to them whatsoever.
1: But it only came out a year, yeah, one, a whole year, and that's it. And to make a film of this scale, I mean, you see nothing mm. planning.
0: It's a weird thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and there isn't even that much background material on it, really. Uh, I don't know. I've never seen it. Like, I could understand if the Scorpion
3: King was this thing alluded to in the first film, and the fans were like, ooh, we really want to know about this Scorpion King thing. Are you going to do a spin-off about that? But it's just this random thing they drop into the second film that no one needed or was asked about. It it just, the whole thing feels so strange to me.
2: Mm.
3: Yeah. Have you seen the Scorpion King, Alan? If any of us have watched it, it'll be you. Yeah, I watched it. And? Is, so is it is it set in the old days, like ancient ancient
0: yes. times? Yes, it is. It's, it's proper swords and sandals. Um, it's it's actually it's it's comedy action, definitely. It's sort of the same tone as the other films, but much more child friendly. Mm. Like it felt much more dumbed down, and like for like a nine year old rather than a fourteen year old, if you know what I mean. Mm. Interesting. Um, distinctly different. Does does the job. Uh, it was better than The Mummy Returns. Oh, uh, in terms of en- enjoyment of watching it. Yeah, I can believe. Was that. The
1: Rock still sort of getting into his? Uh, you know, was he not found, quite found his acting method yet?
0: Oh no, he's he's right there. Oh. he's doing it all. Yeah, and and completely sells it. And he has he has the perfect character to personality to sell what that is, mm. which you you know, and, and it would be difficult to play it straight. And he's got he's got the little he's got a little kind of you know cowardly snivelly sidekick, mm. and um, he has a big fight with Michael Clark Duncan, and then they become friends and all. It's, it sort of hits all the things you expect it to hit.
3: Mm. Did it do well? Because it really does feel like the franchise died with that film.
1: Well, it, it made more sequels. From what I understand, it was. Uh not well received critically, but money wise it made a fair something like it made its money back and okay. a little bit of profit. Because but... I I know they
3: I know they obviously came back and made a third mummy movie in two thousand and eight, mm. but that's a long gap to wait for this sort of film series. And yeah. uh, it felt at the time it felt very much like oh, they're going back and doing another one, are they? You know, it's like mm. it felt like a comeback for the franchise. I was so hyped. Really? Yeah, I was really excited for it. Everyone I knew just thought, oh god, really? More of this? Like, time to let it go, isn't it?
0: I didn't know they'd done it until we started doing research for this episode.
2: Mm. (laughs) So, so to say I I I was not hyped. uh,
3: Because it was meant to be really shit, from what I remember, and I didn't like the second one. So, assuming
1: you both have watched it, what's it like? I really don't like it. Um
0: I uh, I think it's better than the Mummy returns Ooh, but it's also god no it's not in it's not in keeping with the franchise particularly Really? Really tones down the comedy elements. Mm. It takes it takes it much more seriously. You you still got John Hannah there who's kind of they they've so they've got a bit of you Know shrieking comedy, but, but he's
1: minimized, isn't he? He's not really. They jump even further ahead in the future than the previous ones. So we're in 1946 47 now, and obviously, the young boy. Yeah, so, has grown we up. jump
0: another 10 years, yeah. even though like it's only six or seven years. This kid that they had that wasn't even born in 1999 is now 25 years old, yeah. And then <laughs> Brendan Fraser's like 38 or whatever, <laughs> it just yeah. doesn't make any sense. Brendan
1: Fraser's like he must be like the character must have to be about 50. At least, like, to, <laughs> to make it all match up. And um, interestingly, Rachel Vice didn't come back to play her role. Ah, uh, yeah. And I remember that being... Because yeah. I remember I, this was around the time I was, you know, reading Empire magazine and stuff. And I remember, and it was very open at the time that she came... She wasn't mm. coming back because she said, the script is shit. Like, I'm not doing this. And uh, that was a big part
3: of why I wasn't interested as well. It just seemed like a very desperate thing. Mm. To,
0: like, But the character that they've got in the film, and obviously this is the script that Rachel Vice read... Basically she's you know she was an Egyptologist she was an academic she made one of the greatest discoveries in the history of the of the of the science and and presumably is now um you know a very successful academic writing books about Egypt. No, she writes shitty chick-lit romantic novels for yeah. frustrated housewives. Yes. It's such a it's, it doesn't fit the character no. at all. It's such a betrayal of like what she's supposed to be. Yeah. That's very odd. Uh, but yeah, and and then rather than bringing in another character, they just change the actor. Yeah. Which for such a high-profile character you can't get away with that
1: yeah it's really jarring isn't it especially when you watch them sort of back to back like this and it's not i'm not going to say that brendan fraser and rachel Weiss have the greatest chemistry known to the acting craft but they did have something together, and they played off each other quite well. They looked yeah. good together. Yeah. This new woman, Maria Bello, I don't really know her from anything else, but I... yeah. Mm. Really well, the same. one
0: thing she isn't is uh, someone who can do a na- natural English accent. Oof. God, no. Which is kind of rather <laughs> <laughs> crucial to the, yeah. the role.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah. The accents were slipping all over the place in this one. Even John Hannah, I like picked up on a few <laughs> points,
0: which... <laughs> <laughs> and the little kid who is like at 10 years old has the crispest english accent you've ever heard. Yes. is now full blown american. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> this occurred to me when watching the film and I, I I think it's um it's a it's a wider discussion point but this film is obviously Brendan Fraser's getting a bit old and we're going to need someone else to take over the franchise at some point. So they have his young dashing son uh. now the, the point that I want to talk about is Has this ever actually worked when, like, I'm thinking, like, Indiana Jones and Shia LaBeouf? <laughs> and, like, has it ever worked where you have um, the heroes. Passing pass- of the torch. No, specifically. Spe- mm. Or do you
3: mean specifically that?
1: Specific- father to son. Specifically passing the torch from the established star of the previous films to a new guy who's going to take on and make a success of it. I, I don't think that's ever worked. The only time that I can think of uh. is um, Star Wars The Force Awakens. But that's different. That's yeah. not the exact same thing because it's a saga and I I'm not sure if the films are entirely dependent on the stars of the previous one. Uh, well, Star Trek, kind of, to an extent.
3: Mm. With, uh, but they'd
0: already established that as a new generation. That's the thing, Picard was too. already
3: established at that point. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think, even in TV shows, when they like bring in a new cast of characters, it rarely works. Um,
1: anyway, Luke Ford is quite bad in the film. The actor who plays the character yeah. and he's not really gone on to anything of note since, from what <laughs> I can tell. So
0: I say he doesn't do anything bad acting wise. It's just completely bland character and characterisation, and
1: yeah, and I think part of that comes down to him. Like I think Brendan Fraser, for all of his
0: faults, he's got personality.
1: Yeah, Brendan Fraser has personality exactly, whereas this new guy doesn't. And then we're supposed to care about him romancing this um, this Chinese lady.
0: Yeah, that was all shit. But I tell you what, I did like. The the father son elements through Brendan Fraser and the and the other guy, mm. the you know Brendan Fraser is like oh shit I haven't been much of a father recently and I, and those little emotional moments it worked they just did it enough to give it a bit of emotional resonance give the characters a bit of depth without making it like too over you know actually relevant to the sort of plot line mm. I liked that bit and I thought you know Brendan Fraser actually doing a bit of acting and all that is mm.
2: good. Mm.
1: Um, I I suppose that yeah. the it's nice that they change it up a bit and go to Egypt and uh, go to China instead of Egypt, rather. But even when they get there, salt. So, I remember you had a complaint about Pirates of the Caribbean where it all just starts to look the same. This yeah. like they go to China, but they're still in deserts, and it's like yeah. it's, it just yeah. looks exactly the same. And uh, they shot in China, but I was hoping for some like bamboo forests or something. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: I remember thinking that from the from the
3: trailers and stuff when it came out that it looked just so samey but yeah was it made on a lower budget no it always no. felt like it really no, it always it... looked like such a cheap film from the promo material as well
1: no no, it was uh made for more money than the other ones um and i think this was supposed to be a right we we took a break we longer break than we should have done so here we are we're going to kickstart it properly and this is going to be a proper universal franchise. And yeah, there there was a fourth one. Like all the actors were signed on for like three more films and really? whatever and yeah, M- Maria Bello, the actress who took over from Rachel Weiss was very confident about it, saying, "Oh, you no, know, it's absolutely going to get made and we're all gearing up to do it now." And then it never did because they went down the reboot route <sighs> instead. Well, they they
3: tied in a Scorpion King straight to video sequel with the release of that one, didn't they? Mm. I I I had no yeah. idea this franchise had been going for as long as it has. I've I've only just seen before we started recording that they've made four yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scorpion King sequels. But I do remember I th- this one coming out around. It was the same year, wasn't it? So I think it was very
0: much uh, conscious. Yeah, I think they were trying to cash in on that as well. You know, yeah, the fact that there was renewed interest.
3: Mm. I'm assuming none of us have seen any of these uh, films. No, have nah, one. they look well, dreadful. But yeah, I mean the, the most recent one was 2015. So it just seems wow. like they're still ploughing ahead with uh, Scorpion King movies. Mm-hmm. Very. But well. all,
0: all, but all completely panned. Like they're all shit. Everyone said they're. Well, they're shit. all straight to video. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Trash, well, the, the, but... f- the fourth one was straight to Netflix, is what it was. Um, oh really? So maybe that's what's facilitating it. Mm.
3: Straight to Netflix isn't the. Uh, Martin Scorsese's new films going straight to Netflix,
0: but my, my point is that even the straight to video route.
3: You mean it wasn't like Netflix commissioned it? They just no made no no. It I think they just get it uh, out that's, on Netflix.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's probably because that's right. the new thing to do now, rather than try and cheap uh, crank out cheap DVDs. It's just mm. yeah, put it on. Netflix. That's the future. Now. Yeah. Well,
3: yeah, the DVD market isn't what it was. Hmm.
0: Huh. The, uh, just to jump back to the Dragon Emperor. With all the supernatural stuff, and there's a terracotta army that comes to life, mm. and all blah, blah, blah.
2: Okay.
0: Just, even with all that, the yetis were a bit too much for me. Yes. It, it crossed a yeah, line. Yeah, I
3: remember there being yetis in it.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess because they're not a supernatural thing that's been brought to life with magic or something. They're just sort of living in the Himalayas, and just...
3: All the other things in the franchise are like, magic exists, and a human being has done something with magic to... Imbue this object with power, or transform themselves, or something like that. Whereas the Yetis, there the idea is, oh, Yetis exist, just this magical hmm. fictional animal just exists, and yeah, yeah, I can see how that would be a bit.
0: And just another thing as well, in in terms of uh, what we're talking about, the first film being not particularly uh, ethnically friendly.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> this third film, I thought, there's, I mean, it's set in China, and there's. A huge part of the supporting cast are, are Chinese, and they seem to do it legit, legitimately. You know, yeah, yeah, I mean, they yeah. all speak English, but you know, it was, like, it was, was like, this? Um, but like, they didn't.
3: They was this part of the new trend to appeal to the Chinese? I was market, thinking that, or did it when kind of predate it. that?
0: I think it it, because it's not yeah. like it is very much. Let's yeah. exploit Chinese history and mythology and make yeah. it fit what we want it to fit. Yeah. So I'm not sure it's quite to play to a Chinese market. But, you know, in terms of you know, we hiring the proper, uh, legitimate supporting cast, and interestingly, in The Scorpion King, I, I, I remember thinking that it's got one of the most ethnically diverse casts I've ever seen in a Hollywood film. Mm. Uh, I don't know, just in terms of thinking about what what the first one was, it, it felt a, li- a little bit more like, they, at least were, the casting was a bit more open.
1: Mm. So, should we talk about The New Mummy, the upcoming one, starring Tom Cruise? Yeah, I... Uh, th-
3: should we talk about this whole Monsters reboot universe? The Dark Universe, I believe The Dark Universe, yes. yeah, it's just been named, yes. hasn't it? Um,
1: <laughs> which is quite optimistic, considering none of the films have come out yet. Well...
3: Well, to say Dracula Untold was... <laughs> they made that film... Mm. And then at the last minute, they turned around and were like, shit, we should uh, tie this into this thing that we're doing so we don't have to reboot Dracula in, in, in two years. Mm. So then they went and shot a, an end credit sequence. Oh, really? But from what I can gather, that isn't part of this universe and they've just given up yeah, on it. Yeah, because a is while the it smart... was supposed to be, wasn't it? Yeah, but I think it under—I don't think it did very well, I don't think people liked it very much, and it, it kind of makes sense, like, yeah, why would you launch the franchise off this film that wasn't even made with the mm. intent of being part of something bigger, so, mm. who knows, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, they'll probably make their mind up later on, depending on how well everything goes, but I think, essentially, this is the first film in this new franchise. hmm uh, and it does seem like they're really going for broke with setting up a cinematic universe, as yeah. you mentioned earlier. Calvin Russell Crowe is playing Doctor Jekyll in it, mm. uh, but not Mister Hyde. It would appear, although you never know. Maybe the third act. Well, I think is he meant to be um, the
1: Samuel Jackson sort of? Yeah, he, team apparently
3: he's. Or whatever? Yeah, he's assembling this team of of characters. I've heard a um a theory that uh Tom Cruise will like absorb the powers of the mummy at the end of the film oh. so that he becomes the mummy so that he can kind of become the ambassador of the mummy franchise who carries on into subsequent films uh. which makes sense but I mean it makes more sense than this uh the mummy herself being in the other film but I don't know I don't know what they're going to do with it
0: doesn't Tom Cruise seem like an odd
2: choice?
3: Yes. Well, it it does. If it does, insofar as like, if they are gearing up to a big monsters Avengers, like, are they all going to be A list actors like Tom Cruise, Russell Crowe? That's going to get difficult. Oh, to... Have you not
1: heard about who they're um they've cast as the Invisible Man and Frankenstein's Monster? No. Ah, Johnny Depp is going to be the Invisible Man, and huh, um, okay. Javier Bardem is going to be Frankenstein's Monster.
3: Right. Because
1: apparently they've, uh... they've got uh, the next film out in this series is going to be Bride of Frankenstein in 2019. Oh, is that official now? Yeah, yeah, Bill Condon's directing huh. it, and um, David Cope's writing the screenplay, apparently. Oh! After that, they've got Creature from the Black Lagoon, then Invisible Man, mm. and then a Van Helsing and Wolfman film. Um, Quite quite ambitious to say that the first one isn't even out yet. But it's like, yeah, kinda... I mean, it, it makes sense, though. I, I've got to say, like, when
3: after marvel did this and it became apparent that all studios were going to try and make their own cinematic universe the, the the next obvious one was dc but after that everyone was sort of like you know oh is there going to be a there's going to be a transformers cinematic universe there's going to be a james bond cinematic universe and it all seemed a bit desperate and like oh mm. come on guys but universal monsters make sense Because it it was arguably the first ever cinematic universe. The the difference being that it wasn't built from the ground up. It was very much, like we discussed earlier, it was an afterthought, wasn't it? It was just like, oh, let's smash these guys together in a film. That's where the term monster mash comes from, you know? Ah. Sticking your monsters together. Um, It makes a lot of sense. The only problem is, like, what tone do you pitch these at? Because they're horror films originally, and... I want them to be horror but in order to make this work they're probably going to have to be action adventure films like the 1990s yeah. mummy. Mm. I'm hoping they strike a balance between the two. I'm hoping they <sighs> go for legitimate horror with some action in there, but I can't see them doing
1: it I very think well. Yeah, I think it's just going to be pure action sort of um and
3: then if, if, if they are just doing Tom Cruise with the powers of the mummy,
1: that's not even... What
3: are
0: the powers of the mummy? I don't know.
3: Well, that's it. What is that? Like, Tom Cruise, but he can turn into sand every now and then to go through locked doors? Or... Steal people's life force? I don't know.
1: Even that, and Alan touched on this earlier on. But even that, Tom Cruise is the leading sort of man of this franchise at the moment. It's like looking at the cast list; they're all just they're all like men in their fifties. It's like Tom Cruise, Russell yeah. Crowe, Johnny Depp, Javier Bardem. It's like, do they even want to try and be relevant to a younger sort of demographic? Say, by like, the
0: time they get to the big crossover, they're going to be in their sixties. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Okay, so um, yeah, with with that in mind. How would we have done it? (laughs) Okay, well, I I I don't have terribly well thought out pitches this week, but um, I do have two because there are two ways that I would like to um, see this franchise continue. One would be
3: are they direct continuations of the Brendan Fraser? Oh no, 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 no. Well, oh. one, of, one
2: of them,
1: one of them might be depending on who we cast as a movie. But the first one, the first one would be a flat out. If I was given hundred million dollars and said, "Make us a mummy movie," Calvin, um, I would basically make Alien in a pyramid. That's Oh, much that's what
3: exactly do. my one. We've done the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> isn't that Alien
0: versus Predator?
3: <laughs> Should we combine our our talking through this? Then we've basically done the same thing. Okay, because that's, that's it. I, I've basically said the exact same thing like <laughs> like my pitch would be everything the original mummy should have been spooky horror inside a pyramid
1: yeah okay then great does yours begin yeah. with the uh, when when is yours set because mine is uh still in the 1930s
3: uh mine is set in modern day but that is uh, only okay. because the Brendan Fraser film was set in the past i would l- i would have liked to make it set in the 20s or the 30s but i figured it would be better to give it a bit of uh distance from the yeah. Brendan Fraser films
1: but then you can't write dialogue like "What are you doing, old chap?" You can. You just you just have one like
3: British like archaeologist who's there <laughs> with them. And
1: okay, so taking um, yeah, I, I I had about like ten people in my team. And yeah. they, uh, yep, yeah, they they go into the pyramid. One of them's after just the the money. He's after the gold. He's just after fame and stuff. And the other ones are actually wanting to do proper archaeological work. And then, and then they release a mummy from a sarcophagus. Yeah. And it, yeah. I feel like we should be doing like a sentence each here because we've probably got the same idea. Well, mine,
3: mine's, yeah, mine is basically just. I mean, the start of this new film is basically the setup that I want. It's just like some sort of military outfit, dispatched to Egypt to... Uh... Oh, military? Yeah, I think he's military in the new film, isn't he? Oh, okay, then. I don't know, I'm just, I'm, I'm working with that. like Because uh, with it being set in the modern day, you can't really just have, this is a, a load of, like, explorers digging up a tomb to mm. find the riches down there, because you don't really do that anymore. It's too much of a... Yeah. So the idea I was thinking is there's some, some sort of intelligence... But you know, says there's some kind of MacGuffin worth securing for Egypt in this tomb or something like that. So there's a military outfit sent into this unearthed tomb, underground pyramid, or just, you know, just something like that. Uh, load of archaeolo- bleh, archaeologist stuff happens when they get there um working with the locals and what have you. But mm-hmm. yeah, they, they discover this pyramid. Uh and it's just, yeah, straightforward horror horror. Like you say, they they unearth this ancient evil that's still like living in this tomb. And mm-hmm. I, I was thinking, you know, the descent is kind of the ah. the uh touch touchstone I want to use as the uh kind of pitch you're going for because that's a really claustrophobic, effective horror film. And that's kind of what I'd want, but I'd want it with a slow, shambolic zombie mummy following yeah. around. Like that is the important thing for me. That mummy has to be so terrifying as mm. like possible. Yeah. And and you know just just the classic stuff. They they get split up in their attempts to escape. I don't want them to splitting up on purpose. It'd have to be some sort of like you know one of them climb some of them climb over a big cavern and then it breaks and they can't get across something like that that splits them up, but. You you split them up. They get picked off one by one. Maybe there's potentially more than one mummy in there. Big boss mummy and all these minion mummies. You you can do all. We sorts need of we need it. some animal um,
0: mummies. That's what these things have been missing. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'll save that for the sequels when you get a bit more campy and silly with it. Because yeah, that's yeah. the thing. I think I think this really needs to be played seriously. Like. Mm. Legit, I think there's legitimate horror with the idea of a mummy that's just not been done, and certainly hasn't been done or even attempted really since the '60s. But even then, I don't, I don't think it's ever been done well. Um, But I used to read hundreds of of spooky stories for kids and so on when I was younger, and the mummy stories were generally really effectively scary things. So yeah, like, did you say Alien in a pyramid? The Descent was just alien underground, so we've kind of yeah. gone for similar. I've just gone for a more modern example, I guess, because I, I I really want it to make heavy use of modern techniques. And...
1: Hmm. Do you want to know what my other um, idea yeah. was? This isn't fleshed yeah. out at all, but it was uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler meet the mummy. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> in modern-day New York, uh, oh. Amy, Amy Poehler and Tina Fey are living together in an apartment, and they uh, find this mummy. Um, because some like burglars break in and accidentally leave a mummy there instead of another house or something, and they have to look after <laughs> it. And uh, it's uh, yeah, and then they get ra- ra- caught up in some crime, and uh, they make <laughs> friends with the mummy. They each learn a bit about each other. You've you've missed a trick here. The the
3: thing the thing we do is we make this really sincere, scary film. Then we go comedy, and we bring in uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler to do. Tina Fey and Amy Poehler meet Frankenstein, yeah, and then meet the mummy, meet meet all of them. But I like that. You know who I could totally see doing so and so and so and so meet the mummy. Like I could see it. Like I wouldn't be surprised if it's announced. Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. No, but that'd be good. That'll work really well.
0: Uh, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen.
3: No.
2: (laughs) Oh, I would love that.
3: <laughs> and Seth Rogen and Seth Rogen and James Franco, don't they? Two, they they just seem like two people who would do yeah, that. Yeah, they were my second choice. But but the reason I'm saying them is they seem like two people who might buy the rights to make that film.
0: It'd be Seth Rogen and Jonah Hill, and then James Franco would be the the mummy.
3: Mm. It'd be it'd be Jay and Seth jay what's his name from this is the end and yeah. seth Rogen? it'd be those two he's the
0: straight man jay's the straight man
3: and james franco would have a, an inexplicable cameo as like the
0: the captain of the ship who dies the captain of the ship, the, the the of the ship
3: <laughs> on, a, on an iphone <laughs> for two seconds
0: <laughs>
3: all right <laughs> all right alan what's uh, what's your mummy sequel um, well, I Ooh, went... I'm Alan. My idea is called "The Daddy," and it's about <laughs> <laughs> Brendan Fraser as a baby left on his doorstep, <laughs> and he me. has to look after it like a dad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh no, no! Alan would have Brendan Fraser and Dwayne the Rock Johnson as best mates oh, yeah. who have oh, to yeah. look after
0: uh... Oh no.
3: Alan would have Brendan Fraser as the dad, but Dwayne The Rock Johnson's head superimposed <laughs> into a little person's body. And it turns out that Dwayne yeah, The Rock Johnson is a like a criminal on the run <laughs> the law. Like an old Looney Tunes cartoon. And he and he pretends to be the baby so that he gets adopted.
0: Oh, brilliant. Alright, well I was gonna I did think of the Daddy with Ray Winston. <laughs> uh, but it didn't get any further than that. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I want to do a, a, a reboot of The Mummy, do it seriously. But I just thought, why yeah. not go to the obvious source, which is Tutankhamun and that, that story of how yeah. all that was uncovered. I just yeah. think I don't, I, I know that that story has been told in film, but I've never really seen it in a high profile thing or tying it into The Mummy thing. With my idea, I've done the in the greatest tradition of Hollywood storytelling. I, I read a little brief bit about the the real people and then created a story around them. Okay, because uh, ah. we we're far enough removed from them now; they're all dead. We we can oh, libel yeah. them as much as we want. So,
3: and you can't you can't libel the dead anyway. So. Yeah, exactly,
0: we can say what I want. Mean. Yeah. So, uh, so
3: open on Tutankhamun just stomping on mice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. We, I, I've kind of set up a parallel story of the the team digging him up and then showing Tutankhamun as a, as the boy king, you know, back in in that time. Uh, so we have to sort of set up both stories and then obviously they come together. So it's set in 1922. They've been they've been digging up the Valley of Kings for for years. Howard Carter finally discovers Tutankhamun's tomb. He summons his patron, that's Lord Carnarvon. Okay, so character wise. Uh, Howard Carter, he's, he's a very sort of gentle, artistic type, you know, he's he's drawn to the aesthetics of Egyptology, he's an expert on the languages, that sort of thing, whereas Lord Carnarvon is much of a loud, blustery, like, upper-class type, He's he, he just wants to blow up the tomb and get all the treasures out and all that sort of thing. Uh, but he's not the bad guy. Carnarvon's not the bad guy. He's not evil. He's just a bit of a bore, like you know. He's just like Rrr, yeah, Rrr. and he's not very nice to the natives because he's like the English I O and everything. Huh? He likes to stomp on mice, whatever. This <laughs> so then there's um, uh, huge publicity surrounding the opening of the tomb. So journalists are vying to be the official reporter of the find, uh, and so then we get to set this other, this other character who's a ruthless journalist called Henry Morton. He doesn't get the gig. He doesn't get the job to be the official reporter. So he's like, shit, what can I do to get in there? And this is gonna be the main bad guy of the piece. So he goes around to speak to Carter to try and like, I don't know, bribe him, whatever he needs to do to try and get on the thing. And he mm-hmm. finds Carter making love uh, with another man. And so he uses this to blackmail him and he gets mm-hmm. himself onto the, onto the excavation team. So there mm-hmm. are three sort of main players. And then running parallel to that, you've got the story of Tutankhamun himself. Now, he was the product of severe inbreeding, so he had all sorts of weird ailments and physical problems. And he mm. became he became pharaoh when he was nine or ten years old. And so he's going to be like managed and manipulated by and this advisor called he's called A. That's uh, A Y. I think it's just pronounced I. I. Uh, like he was he was an advisor to his father.
2: <laughs>
3: Can, can we please have um, Sasha Baron Cohen as the advisor to Ai? <laughs> yeah. Just, I? Yeah, I mean, the, he's... Or, oh, no, as the father. So whenever he walks in the room, he can go I.
0: <laughs> okay, so I is the main bad guy, and he's just using Tutankhamun to further his own power. But then on the other side, we've got this priest who is trying to take care of Tutankhamun and his soul. And generally, so ultimately, I manages to kill Tutankhamun, it makes it look like an accident. So uh, his job is done, he takes the throne, he ascends to power himself. But the priest, who oversees the burial of Tutankhamun, uh, he mummifies him, whatever they do. The priest puts like a special incantation or whatever on the tomb, so that the boy king can come back to life and, and wreak vengeance or something. So then, boom, later on, Carter unveils the tomb. The mummy is awoken, the curse begins to strike. But I don't want like a literal mummy walking around. It's not my kind of thing. I, it's got to be much more ephemeral, kind of more spiritual. No. So, which I know you're not going to like that. But uh, the super, I mean, to be honest, I wouldn't want any supernatural elements whatsoever. But, you know, what you've got, you got to play the game. So <laughs> you've got to make it entertaining. <laughs> So then people in the expedition, they start dying. We can have these kind of mysterious deaths that could be an accident. Lord Carnarvon dies from an infected mosquito bite. Uh, It's just put down to bad luck or, you know, the bad health or whatever. But then Carter, he discovers a mosquito bite in exactly the same place on Tutankhamun. And it's like, oh, it's got to mean something. There's got to be some connection here. And then eventually enough coincidence come together that he managed to work out there is a curse. And then he starts studying these other ancient documents. He realizes that to lift the curse, because obviously he's at risk himself here, mm. he, he, also, he has to find the mummy of I and raise him as well in order to create a final confrontation. So he does that. He finds it, he breaks open the tomb and that mean, and reads this incantation, whatever it is you need to read. So that means the, the climax of the film is the two mummies finally in conflict. But because I don't want the mummies to come to life, it's going to be like their spirit and they're going to possess...
3: King Kong and the other one possesses
0: Godzilla. Oh, brilliant. No. <laughs> Stop trying to turn my film into silly action. <laughs> uh so yeah, the the spirit of Tutankhamun takes possession of Carter, the spirit of I takes possession of Morton who is the bad guy, the journalist bad guy. They have a fight, they can come to, they can have you can have a proper battle then like something. Obviously good triumphs. I is doomed to eternal hell. Tutankhamun is left to rest in peace. Morton himself, the journalist, is not actually killed.
3: Surely when they fight, even if they like they fight to the death, then you're just freeing that spirit to go and possess another body and try again, right?
0: No, because it's more magical than that. Okay. <laughs> and so it's like lifting a curse or whatever. So, right. uh, <laughs> but then the, the journalist himself who was possessed, he's not actually killed himself. Somehow the spirit dies, but he you know survives he has to flee the country and <laughs> this leaves Carter to continue his work uh desecrating ancient tombs hmm uh, so basically i wanted to make the mummy character a bit more of a sympathetic character like the victim in it Aww. somewhere well this new one
3: um i've realized that we haven't mentioned the fact that it's a female mummy i, I feel like we should quickly touch on that
1: she doesn't look scary at all She's got some attractive young woman to...
3: but do you know do you know why that is no. It's not a matter of, like, diversity or anything. It's because they they were making the film, and then X-Men Apocalypse came out. <laughs> yeah, apparently that was exactly what they were, like, making The Mummy no be like way. in the new film. Like, their pre-production work mm. and all of that, it was just going to be that mummy, that apocalypse guy. And they were like, shit, uh, we need to do something <laughs> completely different with this. So they just made her into a woman instead
0: there you go the new mummy with tom cruise is out this week and we're a bit dubious about it but check back with facebook.com forward slash diminishing returns podcast because we will post a review up there when we've seen it and you can let us know what you think as well if you enjoy the show then please rate and review us on itunes does all help to promote us and we also like to hear nice things about us and make sure you tune in next week when we're having our big biannual catch up where we discuss all the films that have come up in the last 6 months. So that's everything from Split to Alien Covenant via 50 Shades Darker. What a mix. Don't miss it. We'll see you next week.
1: How do you use an ancient Egyptian doorbell?
0: <laughs> <come> yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> Toot, and toot come in. And come in. <laughs> but that's not what his name is, it's Tootin' No come in. Toot
2: and come in. It sounds a bit like it.